I want to thank the children for leading us so well in worship today. It's been a gift. Some people have said the letter of Galatians you just heard from is Paul's kind of a freedom epistle. Now, when we use the word freedom in our culture, we can get off track. We tend to think of fantasy freedoms, of absolute freedom. There is no such thing as absolute freedom. And absolute freedom brooks no limitations, qualifications, responsibilities. And when Paul starts talking about freedom, he's talking about that which is centered in God. It's not so much freedom from, it's freedom to. Throughout the book of Galatians, you can kind of follow it. There's a freedom to uh, stand. There's a freedom to receive. There's a freedom to trust. There's a freedom to give. And yes, even a freedom to fail. Now, who would want that kind of freedom? I would hope we would. I would hope we would want the kind of robust faith that moves beyond the kind of barriers of um, paltry and tiny faith. Lois Cheney shared this parable. It's always kind of stirred me a little bit. Um, it's about a man who was quite an observer of life. He, he saw men and people loving other people, and he saw that all love demanded much from the lover, and he saw that um, love often moved into sacrifice and self-denial, and sometimes it could put us in places of both argument and anguish. And he said, love costs too much, and my life, he said, will not be diminished by love. And then he's he saw people striving for high aims and distant goals, and he saw that such striving was often mixed with disappointment. He saw strong women, and he saw committed men fail. And he saw that those who have succeeded often didn't merit um, their success, and he said, why should my life be marred by such striving? And then he saw people serving others. He saw some people doing something called going the second mile and folks emptying their pockets for somebody else's children. And he saw that the more these people served, the more they recognized the needs in front of them. And he saw ungrateful receivers at times turn on their serving friends. And he said, why should my life be soiled by serving so this man who was an observer of life came to the end of life. And now it was time to come before God. And here he presented to God his undiminished, unmarred, unsoiled life. And he said, this is my life. And the great God said, what life? Success, success in prisons, Eugene Peterson said bluntly. He said, success is an unbiblical burden assumed by people who do not want to participate in the perils and the risk of faith. Now, are we saying that failure is a virtue? No, we're saying faith is the virtue, but it carries with it the ongoing possibility of failure. Are we saying that all people who fail are free? No, but we are saying those who fail, reaching for the utmost, probably are the freest of all. Now we come to Paul. How do these words, it's, it's kind of a convoluted, hard passage to follow, wonderfully read. It's hard to follow, isn't it? Uh, how does this connect with freedom and faith and failure? Paul says, listen, friends. He said, um, 
the original promise, let's remember, he said, it wasn't given to Moses, it was given to Abraham. And he said, I interpret this to mean that a will that was ratified 430 years before Moses is not going to be annulled when Moses comes along. What's, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Mosaic law, you see. Now, now is Paul ready to throw out the law? He says, no, it is a gift from God, and it gives great guidance for restless and confused humanity. But you see what he's doing here, what he's driving at? Um, he said the free life, the gospel life, um, it, it doesn't begin with law. No, it begins with unmediated blessing and grace. It's on the house. It started with Abraham. It was the gift of a relational a covenant relationship. Now, but by the time Paul came down the pike and got his Master's of Divinity degree in Jerusalem, what had happened, the law had become the textbook, okay? It was the textbook for the successful life. Abraham, oh, he had been pushed way back. He was just an irrelevant preface. But the law is the textbook. What happens to faith? Faith becomes merely following a set of rules. So where does our energy spend? trying to keep a clean scorecard, trying to line up a string of successful endeavors. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's turning all that on its head. He said the free life, the gospel life, it begins with a relational journey, and life becomes adventure, relationship, exploration, faith. Remember that phrase? Abraham and Sarah went, what, with the AAA roadmap guiding them every, no, no. He said, Abraham and Sarah went out not knowing, see, that they, they found themselves being moved beyond the confines of life and earth, the Chaldees, and now they are moving out into the winds of wilderness living, of relational adventure. Out there, you know, that was empty of guaranteed outcomes. Oh, oh, but it was filled with the possibilities of discovering all the invisibles of grace and life and hope. Every Sunday when the benediction is announced here, what happens to us? We go out not knowing. What do you mean? Well, we know some things. I mean, we know where we might be going for lunch. We know some things about what God has in mind for us and the ideals that Jesus set before us, but I don't know how it's going to come out. Sometimes up, sometimes down. Sometimes there are breakthroughs, sometimes there are breakdowns. You see, when the Bible talks about failure, it's not just sin, it's not just uh, missing the mark. It also talks about that failure that accompanies a robust life with God in the world. So we go out of here not knowing, right? We're guided by these noble aims that we're trying to live into, maybe trying to do something new with our family relationships in the home, with our neighbors, maybe trying to restore an old broken relationship. Maybe we're going to be a part of something that comes out of this church, like a Kairos ministry, where we're trying to turn an old world into a new world. And I don't know where that's going to go sometimes, do you? Sometimes up, sometimes down. But look, that's that's the faith journey. That's what it means to be in exploration. Now, failure is not something to be avoided. It's the inevitability that we have to live and pass through. 
If you go to the Fermanau County in Ireland, there's a little town there called Balik, and those of you who know your China know the Balik China, wonderful China. And when that china is finished by the artisan, it is brought into a room and it's put before lights much brighter than this and it is held up before bright, fierce light. And if there is one tiny flaw or imperfection, what happens? The glass, it, it, it shattered to pieces. In the bleak world, see, if it's not perfectly good, it's no good at all. That's the way it is in Waterford crystal and glass. It's, there are no seconds. Now, that may be a good way to in, ensure the flawlessness of china or glass. That's not, that's not a very good approach to the life of faith. It's exploration. It's adventure. There will be triumphs. There are going to be breakthroughs. And there are going to be delays and frustrations and detours and failures. Now, can, can you think of anybody that you know that's doing something really interesting and substantial who hasn't had to deal with the string of no's, right? I mean, the door that slams in the face, the rejection letter, the tepid reception. The actor Mark Ruffalo went through 600 auditions before he got his first break. Think about that, 600 no's before he got the yes. A number of publishers turned down the first novel, novel of J.K. Rowling. Okay. They, they, in one voice, said, no one is ever going to make any money by writing stuff for kids. Of course, her book happened to be about a boy named Harry Potter. Okay. In 1831, he was defeated for state legislature. In 1832, he failed in business. 1834, he was elected for state legislator. In 1835, he once again failed in business. In 1838, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. 1855, he was defeated in running for the U.S. Senate. 1856, defeated for the Vice Presidency. 1858, he was defeated for the Senate again. And in 1860, this man, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States. Uh, he learned that failure is not fatal, it's not final. Paul understood that this life we're living, we're not just climbing some ladder, you see, of success and get to the top and that you win. It's, it's exploration, it's adventure, and failure's gonna be part and parcel of the journey. He knew that if we live by law, if that's our textbook, we're gonna live by fear, fear of anything less than perfect. Who in what church would ever wanna go out and risk the perils of the unknown if it's all about perfection? Any perfectionists out there? Of course, I mean, some of the best people I know, we struggle with perfectionism. You know the problem with perfectionism. It, it inhibits. Every unsolved detail becomes like an insurmountable barrier. But it's not just a perfectionist. I mean, the fear of the unknown, it, it just nips at the heels of faith. I want you to think just a moment, like over the last weeks and months of your life, has there been some possibility, some nudge kind of coming your way from, 
from God, from Jesus. That, and you just couldn't quite throw yourself into it. Sometimes we shut down because once we put ourselves out there and it was one of those times in the past when it looked like there were snipers on every rooftop and we got shut down, we got criticized, everything got derailed. But maybe it's not the past that haunts us, it's the unknowns of the future. I've seen a church at times, you, you, you feel God out there calling you to do something and you get your toes to the edge, you curl it over and you say, oh my goodness, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've never done this before. We're not sure how it's going to come out. Will it be well received? And we pull back. So if people sometimes ask me, you know, what's one sentence, Rob? If you could say one sentence. I, I don't think it'd be one sentence. I, I would want to throw one question out there. And this would be the question I'd want to ask myself. I want to ask others. What would happen if we weren't afraid anymore, you know, what would happen in our lives, the church's life? You know? God has three words through history and through the Bible. He kept saying these three words more than any other word. Every time the church gets stalled or stuck or scared, be not afraid. What if we weren't afraid anymore of the unknown outcomes? I hope faith helps us with that. I don't think faith has ever gotten rid of my fears. It has helped me to talk back to my fears. It's even helped me to feel free at times to surrender the outcomes. I mean, we all know, man. When we start doing God-sized things for others, for the world, we just don't know. Will the world, will people reject it? Will they love it? Will they even react at all? We just don't know. We don't know. Surrendering the outcome doesn't mean that we don't care. It doesn't mean that we're not emotionally invested. It doesn't mean we're disinterested in the results. Of course, we want people to be inspired. We want things to change. We, we want to try to make a difference. Surrendering the outcome, just making peace with the journey, the lack of guarantees, going out and not knowing. You know, when we experience that freedom of moving out like that, we, we discover something, aren't we? That uh, our fears really aren't fatal. And our failures aren't. Uh, there's a true story about a man who was an executive with one of the national broadcasting companies. His job was to come up with new products and new programs, and he, he launched this new program, thought it was going to be a success. Millions were poured into the development of it, the advertising of it. It didn't even make it to the first season. It made it about eight or ten weeks in, and it cost the, the broadcasting company millions of dollars. So he walks into the CEO's office and he's ready to fall on his sword. He says, I'll have my things out of the desk. I'm resigning. I'll, I'll empty my desk by 12 o'clock. CEO turns to him and says, are you kidding? We've just spent millions of dollars on your education. <laughs> and uh, we're not about to let you quit. I look back at my years of ministry and there have been times of wonderful surprises. Things that I weren't sure about that blossomed and, and grew and surprised all of us. At times though, I've been a part of a lot of planning, a lot of thinking, a lot of praying and we thought we offered our best and it was as dead as four o'clock in the morning. But here's what I learned. 
even those failures, they were not disasters. You know, they became, they became the means by which I saw deeper into the depths of my humanity and I got higher into the vistas of divine grace. Oh, by the way, if you'd like to talk about some healthy fears, here's a good healthy fear to have around the church. Fear of the fear of failure, yeah. Of fear of the opportunities we won't seize because we're, we're not sure. I look back in our years here together and the things that I think have made the most difference in this church and this community were those moments where we got to that critical moment of looking over the precipice and we weren't sure and we said yes. Well, here's Paul. He's, he's talking, he's saying, by the way, he says, um, let, let Moses, Moses always be subordinate to Abraham, okay? He said the real promise, the gospel promise, is the promise of faith. It's, 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 it's a life that we go out not knowing. As I said, Abraham and Sarah, they had no AAA map. They didn't know every crossroads they came to, what would be the right option, the right choice that would right, lead to the right conclusion. They lived by faith. Day after day, they conferred with, they were challenged by, they wrestled with, they listened to, they grew in their relationship with God. They didn't always get it right. Abraham was not without sin and doubt and despair, and some of his noblest aims um, never got off the ground. But he kept following, he kept believing, and God was at the center. And with God was at the center, he lived by faith and failure, faith and grace, faith and mercy, faith and freedom. Did you hear the grace and mercy part? Abraham, like us, discovered that God's never finished with us. Even with the, the dust of our failures, God breathes life back into that dust and helps us pick up the pieces and, and move on. Speaking of picking up the pieces, it reminds me of a story about young Timmy. A friend of mine had a son named Timmy. And Timmy was at this point seven or eight years old. It was fall of the year. A teacher comes into the classroom and says, class, Timmy, this is going to be great. I, I'm, we're going to have an opportunity to make and, and give a special gift to someone who is special to you. And she held up a nice big lump of clay said, everyone is going to get a nice big lump of clay to work like, with like this. You can decide what you want to make out of it, how you're going to paint it, and who you're going to give it to. Timmy knew. He was going to do it for his dad. He, he, he knew his dad liked to drink coffee every morning. He said, I'm, I'm going to make a coffee mug. And so he took his lump of clay and he works with it. And after several days and several attempts, it looks a little bit like a coffee mug. And teacher says, well, what color would you like it to be? And I'm sorry, Luke. He didn't say Duke blue. He said, I want it to be Carolina blue, Tar Heel blue. My dad's a big Tar Heel fan. I want me Tar Heel blue. I will have a UNC on there. So he puts the Carolina blue paint and then he etches in the UNC. And then it's a great moment, you know, when you take that offering and you see it go into a kiln. And for a child to see it come out all shiny, glistening, and hard, and there it was in Carolina blue, and they wrap it, 
And then there's the annual Christmas, you know, show at PTA. And this was the night that the presents were going to be shared. So, so after they have their little musical offering, all the children ran back to their classroom. They could pick up their present. Timmy went and got his present. It had been carefully wrapped. He's running back down the hall. And he gets going too fast. He trips over his own feet. And there goes the blessing out of his hands and on the floor. And even in the wrapping, you can hear the glass shattering. And now Timmy's down on the floor with his broken present, his heart is broken as the coffee mug. Dad comes along, just having a little hard time with his son's effusive emotion that everybody's watching and hearing, and he goes over, Timmy, Timmy, that's, it's okay. Now, 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 you don't need to do that crying. You, you stop that crying. It's, it's not a big deal. It doesn't really make any difference. Ooh, mother wiser in matters of the heart, walks up and just pushes dad to where he needed to be at this moment, to the side. She whispered to dad, you're wrong. It really does matter. Mother walks over and um, she puts her arms around Timmy and she let him shed the tears that need to come when a special offering and something precious is broken on the ground. And then dad watches in wonder as she reaches into her purse and she pulls out a handkerchief. She wipes his tears and then she wipes her own. And she says, Timmy, you know, we have something at home. What do we have at home? Ah, we got a magical white substance called Elmer glue. (laughs) What we're going to do is we're going to take this mess home. We're going to work at it and see what we can do with what is left. Okay. Ah, that little family drama, isn't that a parable of faith? We go out not knowing. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it it bears fruit and sometimes it withers on the vine. You know, but because of the incredible mercy and grace and hope of God. We've learned that we can stoop over and pick up the pieces. We can learn what we need to learn from them and we can see what we can do with what is left. But most importantly, we can move graciously into next time, next time. Well, I'm looking at the people called Central Pilgrims of Faith. Like me, I imagine along the way, you've picked up a few chips and dents and scars of the journey. I can see it out there. There's some glue marks. (laughs) There's some cracks. But isn't that all right? Don't you think that's really a lovely mosaic? That's a mended work of art. That's a testament of a God who's willing to work broken pieces and ask us to do the same. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.